that song, Transformed, is actually a, a Christian song. You may not, you know, be used to grooving like that as a Christian. But um, if you're interested at all in that kind of music, that, that was by Sean Locke. And he talks about being transformed for Christ, which is exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. So that was why uh, we, I used that, that song as kind of an introduction for us. Being transformed is the idea that before we came to Jesus Christ, we were a certain way. And the Bible defines us as people who were uh, captive or in chains or in bondage to sin. And when we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have actually been freed from sin, and now we are in pursuit of Christ, our Lord and Savior. But it doesn't just happen overnight like that. It's a process. And transformation is that process where we are being transformed to the glorified state that God wants us to be in. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And the idea here, or the communication, or the, the pieces I want to communicate to you, is that there are some steps to get us from where we are to where God wants us to be. At least that's what I think Paul is arguing here. But let's back up a little bit and ask this question. Do you, personally, do you fear change? Now, when I first started asking that question to myself, I actually started thinking, you know, I don't really fear that much change. In fact, um, it's not uncommon, like in my situation, to go home and find that Rebecca has decided to do something like, I don't know, remove a wall in the house. You know, like that's, that's just change for her. She's like, oh, that's, that wall, pff, let's get rid of it. Fortunately, the house is still standing when I get home, and, you know, then there's a project to be done. And, but that's, that's part of our life, it seems like. We're always changing things up. So I started to think, you know, I don't know that I would say I'm afraid of change unless you word it this way. Do you fear change that comes from letting go and giving control to someone else? Now it's a different question. Because before I was, I was asking the question, well, do I fear change if I'm in control? And if I'm in control, eh, I don't know that I fear much change. But if, if I let go of control and someone else has control, I might fear a little bit of change. And that's what we're talking about in our spiritual journey. We have to let go and let God have control. And that can be scary at times. Sometimes we think in our spiritual journey that it's about us changing for God. Like we have control over it and somehow we can make ourselves change in favor of what God wants. If that's your opinion or that's your thought, I'm here to tell you you're wrong. I'll just be honest with you. That's not God's desire. God's desire is that you submit to him. And you submit to Jesus Christ. And you allow Christ to change you. Because if you think you're going to change for God, it's not going to happen. And if you do and you make some of those changes, then we start to boast and brag and think that we're something great. But God wants us to have a humble heart where we come before him and we say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to change. I don't know how to make my life better. I don't know how to honor you. I don't know how to serve you. But I'm willing to do what you've asked me to do. And then it points us back to his word and scripture and we read it and we begin to understand it and we dig into it. And then we're asking God to teach us. And not only teach us, but then move in us with the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we would then be led by Him. Not by our own way of thinking, but by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit and what He's laid out in front of us. So that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at transformation and how we can move forward. But in order to do that, we've got to let go and let God. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time that we have to come together this morning and look at your word, Philippians chapter 3. As we kind of close this chapter off, we're, we're excited to see the steps that Paul lays out in front of us on how to grow, how to be transformed. So guide us and lead us today. I pray that our lives would be molded and made by you, that you would take us as some lump of clay and you would fashion us into the kind of people you want us to be. And by the end of the day, I pray if we've not already said this, that we will say this by the end of this day, that we are yours, mold and make us as you will. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So transform, that's where we're going. Here's our, our uh, big idea for the day. Complete transformation isn't found in a pew. Now you may be like, well, we don't have pews here, we have chairs, okay? Um, I, I understand that. You can even replace that if you want to say complete transformation isn't found in a lazy boy recliner. I, I don't care what you put in there. But the idea is it's not found in just sitting still. It's found in the faithful pursuit of Jesus. And even more so, it's not found in just showing up at church on a Sunday morning, although that's great. And I think we need to get together as, as a, a family, a church family, to worship God together, to open his word together, to encourage one another. But it's not found there. It's not like I could just go, hey, Sunday morning I show up, do the deed, and go home. It's found in pursuit, faithful pursuit of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul argued in the previous passage, right? When he says, I want to know him and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So we have to put in the context, go back a few verses. If you're in your Bibles, you can look back there. You can read what Paul was saying. I want to know Christ. I want to be pursuing Jesus Christ. And if we pursue Jesus Christ, and he makes us and molds us and into the image that he wants us to be. So, complete transformation isn't found in a pew, it's found in faithful pursuit of Christ. Here's the text we're going to be looking at, verse 12 of chapter 3. Not that I've already reached the goal, or I'm already perfect. Now, Paul, as he was talking about pursuing Christ and knowing Christ, he comes forward to the church in Philippi says, listen, I want you to know, even though you can look at Paul's resume, you can look at all that he's done and go, wow, Paul's done an incredible thing for God. He himself will say, I'm not perfect. Now this takes me to back to something we've talked about a few weeks ago and I think a few weeks before that, but this idea of, of salvation and what it looks like. There's a time when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we say, okay, I believe that I'm a sinner, that I need somebody to come and save me from the sin, and so Jesus Christ is that one. He came, he suffered, he bled and died on the cross, he rose from the dead to give us new life. We place our faith in him and we're justified. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. The ultimate goal is that we would be glorified, and that is we will be saved from the presence of sin. There won't be sin around us. We won't have it in our lives. It won't be in the world around us. It'll just be completely gone. Let me tell you something. That is beyond anything we can imagine, to be free from the presence of sin. So that's the end result. That's the glorification. But today, we're all in this sanctification process. And that's the process where we are being saved from the power of sin. Not that we're saved from the power of sin, but it's alive, it's active around us, and sin can at times have power over us, has influence over us, it tempts us, and we have to overcome, as John says, we have to overcome the evil one. And we're being sanctified in this process. We're being more like Christ, moving closer and closer to glorification. So Paul, when he says, I haven't already obtained perfection, he's saying, I'm on this process. I'm getting closer to glorification. That's where perfection comes. 
is in glorification. But until then, I'm on this process. He says, I make every effort now to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of Christ Jesus or by Christ Jesus. So Christ has this purpose for me, and that's to make me more Christ-like. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind now and reaching forward to what is ahead. And I think what we see is Paul continues, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus is that there are steps in which we can grow. And look at what Paul says. First, you need to admit that you're not perfect. At least that's what he does. Paul says, I haven't arrived. I'm not glorified. I'm not perfect. And if you ever get to that point in your life where you think, man, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. Like, I, don't, I haven't sinned in, I don't know, several weeks, maybe years. That's pretty amazing. I'd have to say, like, wow. If you ever run into somebody and they say to you, you know, I don't think I've sinned for a couple of years, I, I would run from that person. We, but we can get to a point where we think somehow that we become so great that we've arrived. Paul, a guy who, man, the guy was amazing. You look at his, his life and what he did and how he went to prison and how he was beaten and persecuted for his faith. How could you ever say that Paul wasn't like as close to Christ as, as humanly possible? It seemed like all the descriptions, man, this guy, this guy rocks. But he himself said, I'm not perfect. And we have to realize we're not perfect either. It's just like, you know, if you're all about health and you, you want to go to the gym and, and start working out, you've got to realize, hey, I need some work, right? Otherwise, you probably wouldn't go to the gym. Like, I look in the mirror every day and I'm like, I need some work on my body. I need, some, I need to get a little healthier. I don't do much about it, but I still look at it and I still, still admit that, right? In this case, it should be a little different. Like, I know I need to work on my relationship with God, and, and, and we should be pursuing that. Admit that you're not perfect. Secondly, Paul knows that Christ has laid hold of him. He's grabbed hold of him. He has a reason and a purpose for Paul, and he says the same for all of us. God began a good work in you. You can go all the way back to the beginning of chapter one, or Philippians chapter 1. He says, God began a work in you. He will complete it. He has a reason for each of us, but we have to submit to Christ voluntarily. Like, I come under the master. I come under Christ as my Lord. I seek him for guidance and direction. I'm not trying to do this by myself. I'm not trying to do it on my own. I'm trying to do it with the help of Jesus Christ, submitting myself to him. And Paul says that I know that Christ has a reason for me, and I've submitted myself to him. And then he says, I want to let go of the past. Now, it's interesting that Paul has this to say, especially when you consider his life. I think one of the things that Paul probably wrestled with regularly was a lot of the images he had in his head of putting Christians into prison. Or a guy like Timothy, or excuse me, Stephen. Stephen who was, was stoned for his faith. If you go back to Acts, you can read about the story. And, and here you've got a guy, Stephen, he's boldly out there. He's, he's presenting the gospel. He's telling people about who Jesus Christ is. And it comes to a point where Paul and and others, they take him out of the city and they go to stones and they begin to throw stones at him until he's dead. And Acts records that, that Paul was there. And so Stephen was the first, as far as we know, first recorded uh, martyr for his faith. 
Paul was there. Now, there's some things you can never erase from your mind. And I can imagine that would be one thing that you would not be able to erase. He says, listen, there are times in his life, in Paul's life, where, where I'm sure those things came back up. He says, I've got I've to let go of that. He can't just get rid of it out of his head, but he doesn't have to let it control him. He can put it aside. He can say, yeah, there was that time I still remember Stephen being stoned right in front. I remember him looking up into heaven and saying, Lord, receive my spirit. I remember all of that. And it grieves him, I'm sure, to this day. But he says, I'm not going to let that get him down. I'm not going to let it you know, come up, creep up, and, and keep me from pursuing Christ. I'm going to put it behind me. I'm going to let go of the past. That's what we have to do, too. I guarantee we've all made mistakes. And there's probably something that comes up in our head at times that says, I'm not worthy, or I can't follow Christ, or God would never want me, or I can never do it because I tried before and I failed. We've got to let go of those things. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Therefore, let's go on to verse 15. Let all of us who are mature think this way. Think what way? Well, it goes back to really the previous verses where Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. I want to pursue him with all my heart. Let us who are mature think this way. Now, oftentimes when we, we see the word mature, we think of someone who has arrived to a certain point. Paul says, no, it's not that we've arrived and we're finished. We've arrived to a point where we're, we're at a time in our life where we're like, hey, I need to keep growing. I'll never get to that point while I'm on this earth. I need to keep growing and being more like Christ. Think this way. And then he goes on, he says, if you don't think this way or if you think differently about anything, don't worry, God will reveal this also to you. What happens when we get to a point and we think, hey, I've arrived? Well, the Bible warns us about that. Pride comes before the fall. And it's, there's times, I, I know in my life, I'm like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. And when I see, hear those words like come out of my mouth, I'm like, no, no, let him, you know, come, come back in. Like, wait a minute, pride, arrogance, you know, things like that start to, to get it, build up. And then you're like, I know God's going to teach me a lesson. We think we've arrived. We think we're mature. God's going to be like, no, nah, you really haven't. You're going to have something else that probably comes in your life and prove that you're not all that. So let us who are mature think this way. We need to keep pursuing Christ. We need to be more like Christ. We need to keep growing. We should not be stagnant at any point in our lives if we're wanting to become more like Christ. Uh, I'm sure some of you have gone to a, a creek at some point or a waterway at some point, and you've seen where water gets stagnant. It can get moldy. It can get kind of gross. But if you go to a flowing stream, it's much more pleasant. And that's the idea here is that we continue to move, we continue to grow. If we become stagnant, we kind of become putrid. We don't want to do that. We want to be more Christ-like. We want to keep growing and pursuing Him. He goes on, he says, In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me. This is Paul talking. So join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. So as we look at this, I want to point out some motivations to grow, and that's simply this, mature people grow. Do you want to be mature in Christ? Then you need to come to a point where you realize, I've got to keep growing in my faith. I, I don't just simply arrive, okay? He says that if, if you think differently, he'll point it out to you, which is kind of dangerous ground to be on. 
Now, I don't have a, a poop emoji for this week. That became pretty, um, pretty popular last week. In fact, I even saw people like take pictures of it and post it on Facebook and stuff. But, um, but this is Flash Flash 100, well, just Flash, I guess. But I always think of Flash Flash 100-yard dash. If you've seen Zootopia, you've probably seen this character at one point. But you get the picture where he's in there and he's, he moves so slow. Now, at least he's diligent enough to get things done, but there's a warning that the Bible gives us, and it says, do not be like a sloth in Proverbs. And the idea is we can't be lazy in our maturity. We've got to come to Christ and be faithful and diligent to say, here I am, I'm yours, use me as you want, and not be slow to respond. And maybe you've been in that situation. It's like, I know God wants me to do something. I just don't want to do it. God challenges us. I think mature people grow. They're willing to grow. We see that we need to grow. And when he challenges us to grow, we respond. And then look around us. Other people are growing. Paul says, imitate me. And then look around you and pay attention to those who are growing. See that other people grow. And I know for some of you, especially, again, if you're going to the gym, some of you go to the gym because you go there and you see other people that are exercising, doing work, and that motivates you. The church should be a lot like that as well. If you see other people growing in the church, that should motivate you to grow. It's one of the reasons why we emphasize and have life groups, because we hope that people will go there, get plugged in, and see, hey, they're growing in their faith. And if they're growing in their faith, that encourages me to grow in my faith. And we interact with each other, and we encourage each other, and we build each other up. Other people are growing, and that should challenge us to grow. And so Paul says that. Look around you and notice there are people, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are growing That should challenge us to grow as well. Well, continuing back in this passage, he says, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears. It breaks his heart that he has to say this, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. Well, just like there is motivations to grow, there are killers of growth. We need to be aware of that. The first one he mentions are people who are opposed to Christ. Now, in his mind, he could be thinking about those who simply oppose Christ altogether, the Jews that would say, yes, he's not the Messiah. He could be thinking of those who would say, oh, we believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah, but not only do you have to believe Jesus is the Messiah, you also have to believe in works. Paul dealt with that a lot in his churches that he wrote to. But whoever it is, he's saying there are people that are opposed to to Christ and the message of the gospel. They're enemies, and we need to stay away, not hang out with them. And if we're hanging out with people who are opposed to Christ, eventually it will have an effect on us. Now, I'm not saying that we can't witness to. I'm not saying that if you have a neighbor who's opposed to Christ, that you can't go and talk to him or anything like that. I'm talking about building friendships and relationships so close that they become like a brother or a sister or someone like that. We need to know we can't have those kind of relationships with people outside of Christ because they'll pull us away from Christ will have a negative effect on us. And if you're in a relationship where you can begin to see someone pulling you away from Christ, I would encourage you to step away because it will harm your relationship with Christ. Now, you may say, well, that will harm my, my witness with them. Well, it can also harm your witness if you're going down the wrong path with them. So consider that. People who are opposed to Christ will pull you away and cause you to, to slow down your growth. People whose passion is pleasure. He talks about their, their stomach being their food. Or, excuse me, their God is their stomach. Excuse me in this section. 
It says people whose God is their stomach or passion is their pleasure, and we need to, to separate ourselves from that as well. If they're wanting to feed the flesh, everywhere they go, it's like, I'm just, you know, whether it's food or whether it's uh, immorality or whether it's some kind of substance abuse or something like that, we've got to separate ourselves from that because they're just out for pleasure for themselves. And we can get sucked into that as well. Be careful of those whose stomach is their God. And then he talks about people who brag about being bad. That's the way I word it. Um, the translation here says, you know, to the idea of, of having shame, or excuse me, um, glory in their shame. Different translations have different wording for this. And this is a little harder one, I think, to explain. So I have a couple of analogies that help me at least understand this. If you go back to the 50s, um, you may be familiar with Hugh Hefner, uh, the guy that started the Playboy magazine. Back in the 50s, that was shameful. But he made a great business of it, made billions of dollars, Playboy Mansion, on and on it went. To where today, pornography is one of those things that's almost like, hey, it's just accepted. And yet it's destroyed so many families across America. That's an example of one who had had glory in shame. He took something that was shameful and glorified it. We have other things. I remember growing up, and uh, you remember the, the Simpsons? That was kind of big when I was growing up, and people were watching it. And the Simpsons were always funny. People were laughing at it because they took things that were shameful, and they made it kind of humorous. And we'd laugh because it was shameful to us, and oh, it was funny. You know, it's a cartoon, but it's shame. You know, and then we just kind of laugh about it. Unfortunately, what happens is now the next generation is growing up watching your adults, your parents, laugh at something that's happening, that's shameful, they begin to think, well, that's the norm. So they grow up thinking that's the norm. Now you've got family guy out there that's kind of like that. And that even goes back several years. And that's the new, you know, that's the new thing that we, we laugh at now. And ha ha, it's funny, shameful things that they're, they're glorifying. And now you've got a generation growing up thinking that that is the new norm on how to live. Unfortunately, one of the greatest influences in our life when it comes to people who glory in their shame uh, is found on a TV. And we take it, we go out to the market, we buy it, we bring it home, we stick it on our wall, we plug it in, and we watch it, and we laugh at it. And it filters into our mind. And it becomes the new standard, the new norm for life. I'm not saying throw your TV out of your house. I'm just saying be careful what you watch and be careful what you watch, especially with your kids. Because it does become a new norm for them. If we're laughing at something that we would normally think is shameful, then the kids respond like, oh, mom and dad think that's funny. Maybe I should do it too. Be careful. Killers of spiritual growth. People who brag about being bad. That'll kill some spiritual growth. And then people who love this world. Okay? We love the material possessions we have in this world. We love what it has to give us, the temporary joy that it can give us, uh, something along those lines, whatever this world has for us. He talks about those who have their mind on earthly things. We need to stay away from that because that will bring us away from Christ as well. In fact, if you continue on the passage, he contrasts that. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. It's not in this world. It's in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. And I think what we get from these couple of verses is, is one more motivation to grow. Okay, so we had motivations to grow, number one, before, and now we have motivations to grow, number two. And what you see in this is a growing believer is not ashamed. He's actually eager. He's excited to grow. He's eager and not ashamed. Actually, that one got changed. I had a different, uh, different point for that one. Uh, they're, they're eager and excited to grow in their, their faith. I think you might have it in your bulletin uh, worded a little bit differently. 1 John 2.28. Take a look at this. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, he may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. John writes to his, his audience and he says, we're going to meet Christ face to face. When we meet Christ face to face, you don't want to be ashamed when you meet him. You don't want to shrink away. Some of you have a translation that might say that. You don't want to shrink away at his coming. You want to be bold and, and be able to come and say, I gave it all I got. I, I came to you and I submitted and I, I tried to push myself aside. I tried to forget what was behind. I admitted that I needed your help. And you live your life that way. But if we don't and we, we start to live in our own power or we live with our own pleasures and our own wants and desires, then it's likely we'll be ashamed of his coming. So Paul says, let this be a motivating factor that when you think about Christ and his coming, that you want to be eager and excited to meet him face to face and not be ashamed at his coming. Oh, there it is. It kind of got in there. So be eager and not ashamed to meet Jesus. Going back to the big idea, complete transformation isn't found then in a pew. It's found in the faithful pursuits of Jesus. Okay, a couple thoughts here to close off with. Is there something in your past that is keeping you from moving on to the next step? Paul says one thing he does, he forgets what lies behind, he reaches forward to what lies ahead, right? Is there something in your life that keeps you from moving ahead? Is there some kind of sin, something shameful, something you've done? And I'm, I'm talking like, hey, let's, you know, you don't have to say this out loud, but, but really think through. You know, is there some sort of uh, immorality, pornography, adultery, abortion? Something in your life that, like, it just grieves you. You look back and you think, man, that, that's something I know I shouldn't have done, but I did it. And now you feel like you just can't move forward in your walk with God. Paul stood there and watched Stephen be killed by stones being thrown at him as he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't let that get him down. He continued to pursue Christ, and you can continue to pursue Christ regardless of what's in your past. Be it as bad as you may think it is, you can still pursue Christ. So if there's anything in your past that's keeping you from moving on to the next step, consider that. Now, you may say, I don't really have maybe something like that. Okay, well then, how about this? Are you afraid to give God complete control of your life because he may ask you to do something you don't want to do? Like, oh, God, I don't want to go to Africa and be a missionary. You know, that's usually what people throw out there, right? Like, I'm afraid if I say, God, you can do whatever you want with me next week, 
at Involved Church, we're going to have a missionary in Africa, and they're going to give us a call, and I'm going to be like, okay, God, I'm going to go. You know? But no, seriously, right here where you're at, are you saying that on a regular basis? God, do with, with me what you will. Or do we fight that? Is God challenging you in, in your relationship uh, with, with your husband or your wife? Is he challenging your relationship with your kids? Is he challenging your relationship with the world? Maybe you have some friends, you're like, man, every time I get around these friends, I know it pulls me away from God. You're like, I know it's not healthy, I know it's not good. What's he doing there? It's hard, isn't it, to be like, oh, I know it's not healthy. Are you afraid to give God control? So today's challenge is this. Identify your biggest obstacle for growing. Name it. Okay? Don't just start thinking through a bunch of things in your head, but name the biggest obstacle. Like, this is the thing that keeps me from pursuing Christ. Name it, then confess it to God first, then maybe to a close friend who would hold you accountable, pray with you, and then pray to move past it. So this week, I'm thinking through this on my own. Like, okay, well, I need to, to live, you know, what I preach. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to just say, hey, this is for all you guys. I've arrived. That would be totally hypocritical to this message. So in what ways do I need to continue to grow? And so I think back over, over my life, like, okay, what are some areas where I'd say, man, these, these have been obstacles? And it kind of is interesting how God brought this up as I was praying about this. Okay, God, help me to, to really think through this. And it was as I was watching my, my kids, they are out uh, corn topping right now. If you're unfamiliar with that, that's where they go. And the female rows, they got to pull the tassels off so that the bull rows can cross-pollinate them. And so they're, they're doing this job, and it's, it's a pretty um, labor-intensive job for younger kids, but, you know, it's great, great for them to learn some good work ethics, right? Yeah, they love it. So, so I'm watching my, my youngest, uh, well, the youngest who's out there, Rylan, he's, he's out corn topping, and, and Rylan's kind of got, you know, just a natural gift that when he goes and does something, he tends to catch on pretty quickly. Well, he's, and I've, I've asked him if I could share this story, so... This hopefully won't be too embarrassing for him. But, but as he was corn topping, you know, he's 11, he's shorter, the corn's you know, kind of up here. He's getting frustrated because he can't do a good job of it. And, uh, of course, he's got his sisters who are doing great at it. And he's like, I want to be like my sister, you know, great at it. And, and so he's got this, this tension in his life. So I'm starting to, to talk through with, it, with him, like, okay, why, why is there this tension? Why do you feel discouraged that you can't do as, as good as you want to do? And, and as I begin to talk through this with him, I begin to see some of myself in him. And what I noticed with him is that he has this level of perfection that he wants to get to. And sometimes he feels like other people have a level of perfection that he wants to get to. And when you can't get there, you have to admit that you're not perfect. Right? So I'm walking through that with him, and I'm like, I wonder where he got that from. (laughs) Oh, yeah, got that from me. One of my biggest fears in life is admitting that I can't do something. And possibly one of the reasons why I don't 
do some of the things I do is because I'll have to f- admit that I can't do it or work towards it or I'm going to fail at it or I need help or I need somebody else to come and do something for me. One of the reasons why I don't go and share my faith, I might get caught up on a question I can't answer. How can a pastor not be able to answer a question when it comes to spiritual matters, right? What keeps me from moving forward at times is a fear that I'm not going to be good enough. That's my challenge as I look at at life and, and how I need to proceed and say, okay, God, I need to move past that. Right? And it's, it's been something that I've known for many years, so it wasn't like this is a brand new revelation. But it was something I definitely identified as I was younger because I have a story that's really similar to Ryland's where I was corn topping and I got chewed out because I wasn't doing it. I was like, oh, I was discouraged. Like, oh, and I, I shared that with him. Like, I know what that's like. But for many years, I didn't know why I had those problems. And it was because I wasn't perfect. I wasn't good enough. Well, then that's where the grace of God comes in, isn't it? I'll never be good enough. But God helps me get to the point where he wants me to be. And I need to trust my life in his hands. So that's where I need to keep growing. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you've got something in your past that's just haunting you, and you're like, I can't move past it. Every time I think I need to get better or do something better, it comes up, and I think, okay, I'm a failure, and, and it drags you down. Maybe you're like me, and you're like, oh, I have to be perfect, and I feel like I can never get to that perfection. Maybe there's something else in your life that just keeps holding you back from growing and moving forward. Then identify your biggest obstacle for growing, name it, confess it, and pray to move past it. Now, how does this all tie into Philippians? Real joy is found in ongoing transformation. If you want to grow and you want to be more like Christ and you want to have joy in your life, you've got to continue to grow. You can't just be stagnant. Stagnancy causes you to be miserable. This, uh, this winter, um, or this spring, we opened up our pool after we had winterized it. And I had this brilliant idea. I was you know, going around the Internet going, okay, I can do it cheaper. I can winterize it cheaper. Dumb. If I do it this way. And so when we opened it up, I was actually gone. My kids are always excited to open up the pool beforehand. I'm like, okay, I'm at work. Go ahead, try it. I get this call. Dad, the pool has like all kinds of stuff floating on it. It's brown. It looks nasty. I'm like, oh, great. I come home, and sure enough, it is just, you would not want to swim in it. And I swam in canals as a kid, and I would not want to swim in it, okay? It was It was gross. It was like last week's message, what the stuff you'd flush down the toilet, okay? So that is a picture of a stagnant state. And the way to clean it was, you know, start moving water, put some chemicals in it, start cleaning it up. And you just, the biggest thing is moving water. And the way for us not to be stagnant is we've got to keep moving and growing and becoming more like Christ. Stagnancy will cause you to be miserable. So identify in your life what it is that may be causing you to be stagnant, causing you to slow down your growth, be slothful or anything like that. Name it, confess it, and pray to move past it so you can be more and more like Christ. Father, thank you that you have shown us some things in your word today that help me as I look at my own life and I look at growth. There are steps to grow. Lord, I know 
I'm not perfect, even though at times I'm tempted to think so, even though at times I want to be. God, I know that I fall short. And sometimes my pride get in the, gets in the way of what you're doing. I want to make sure I'm humble before you and I am constantly seeking you for guidance and direction. I am approaching your throne with open, open hands so that you will guide and lead me as you want to. Lord, I pray for people here that are, are struggling with different areas of their lives, whether it's pride in their life or whether it's something in their past that keeps pulling them away or whether it's some, some sin in their life that they keep struggling with and they just don't know how to deal with it. Um, God, I ask that you would help them identify it, confess it. Confess it to you, confess it to a brother or sister in Christ who will hold them accountable and then pray to move past it so that we can grow to be more like you. We love you. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And we turn our attention now to a time when we can remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how he came to this earth to be our human sacrifice on the cross. We take this communion as we think about it and we think about the life Jesus, you gave for us. We know it was, it was difficult. It was hard. You didn't just come here and find it easy to be on this earth. It was, it was a hard, difficult thing for you. We thank you that you went through all of that for us because you love us. Father, I'll never understand how much you love us. I can try, maybe by seeing my own kids or loving them, but, but certainly you love us beyond anything we can imagine. Thank you for that, because I'm not worthy to be loved. Thank you for giving me not only a second chance, but a third and fourth and so many more. And so we come to you today and ask that you would challenge us, convict us with the Holy Spirit, and find us faithful to follow you and serve you and be transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. In these things we pray. Amen.